Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, Trail Mix is the short format episodes of our show. While our long format episodes explore one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time, Trail Mix allows us to dive deeper into things we didn't get to cover in our long format episodes. That's right. And this Trail Mix episode is all about the national, wild, and scenic rivers that crisscross the American landscape their importance, and how climate change is underscoring the need to protect them even more. In order to understand the importance of rivers to civilization and why we have national scenic and wild rivers in the United States, it's pivotal to understand rivers in the greater abstract of history and their overall importance. Rivers have had an important impact on civilization from the earliest of times. The earliest cultures of Africa, the Middle East, and China utilized rivers as a means for ecological development via agriculture and for commerce, allowing for their growth and development. The Greek and Roman empires capitalized on rivers as a natural resource, utilizing technology and engineering in some ways ahead of their times with the creation of aqueducts to divert water to large populated communities. And in early history, dam creation was seen the world over, though sparsely, to adjust the way in which rivers flowed. Rivers became a point of strategic importance for growing civilizations, as rivers were lifelines for survival. Communities and cities were often planned adjacent or around the flow of rivers. Rivers allowed for goods to be transported, were a supply of food and nourishment, and although wells were often used for freshwater intake, access to water for drinking, bathing, and prior to further advancement, were a space for waste. Prior to the Industrial Revolution in the Global North, rivers were used in a way that capitalized on their use to the utmost. But there were limits, especially in North America, as populations longed to move westward. The development of canal systems and steamships, along with a variety of more terrestrial travel, roads and railways, allowed for further expansion westward. As technology advanced in the 20th century, rivers were plumbed more and more for uses beyond transportation as damming, 
for hydroelectricity, control of rivers and agriculture, specifically in relation to flooding, and power for factories as well as coolant for machinery became additional and taxing draws. These practices had broad implications on the health and vitality of river ecosystems as greater pollution and use depleted and impacted not just the rivers themselves, but the surrounding land and network of rivers they fed into. The amount of dams, while first popular in the global north, grew exponentially worldwide in the 20th century. While dams have been helpful for humans, ecologically, they present a host of problems that adversely affect rivers and river ecology, from adjusting water temperature, which impacts river biology, to river movement and sediment adjustment, to drought. As did the increase of river use for navigation. With the uptick in the use of rivers as a means of transport, both of goods and people, rivers were adjusted to suit the needs of the industry that was capitalizing on it. This included the reshaping of rivers and their channels, which impacted the ecology of the rivers themselves. And of course, rivers as means for industry have had some of the greatest ecological impact, and not just from the rivers or water sources that are primarily used. A practice of tapping distant rivers to source fresh water for the population can be traced back to the Roman Empire and their system of aqueducts. As industry developed within cities and wastewater was pumped back into the rivers, other sources of water would be needed as a potable source for the population. This led to many cities tapping into rivers and aquifers at a distance, expanding the impact on the surrounding ecosystems. The pollution of rivers from human sources, not just waste, but industry, has ultimately impacted not just the rivers themselves, but the surrounding communities built because of this natural resource. Okay, so why even chat about rivers and river ecology? Well, I mean, we have, first of all, rivers are an important lifeblood still today to people the world over. You can't really think about civilization without rivers and the means that they've been able to provide for people throughout time. But specifically to the the gist of our show, rivers are incredibly important in the national parks, and some parks would not be there were it not oh. for those rivers. Yes, um, Grand Canyon, Grand looking Canyon, at you, yeah. girl. Black Canyon of the Gunnison. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean many canyons. Yeah, New River Gorge, which we <laughs> right. you know, obviously we're talking about in this current suite of episodes that we're in. So rivers, you know, have an important impact on the national parks themselves, not only because they may have helped to form those parks, but because they are a lifeblood for those parks and the flora and the fauna that are within them. And the people who historically lived there and still live there today. Yeah, yeah. So some. it's really important that rivers be a part of the conversation and and river ecology and water conservation is something that isn't just important for national parks, but is becoming increasingly dire and important for much of the country and the world. While we have visited many spaces where rivers have had a giant impact on the land from a multitude of perspectives, our time in New River Gorge in West Virginia was one of the first times that we were in a space that was designated as a national scenic or wild river. So what is a wild or scenic river, and how did this designation come about? 
The late 60s and early 70s saw a multitude of legislation that sought to address the environmental impact on the nation by pollution and pollutants. While the National Environmental Protection Act, signed into law in 1970 by Richard Nixon, is often lauded as the first major environmental law in the United States, a variety of other laws were on the books prior to this point. Specifically, laws relating to water and waterways included the 1899 Rivers and Harbors Act, which among other things prevented quote, the dumping of refuse that would obstruct navigation of navigable waters, except under a federal permit, end quote. The 1925 Oil Pollution Act, which prevented the discharge of fuel oil into tidal waters. The 1948 Water Pollution Control Act, which set water quality programs but was limited to interstate waters. And the 1965 Water Quality Act, which set water quality standards that were state and federally enforceable. A host of environmental issues with incredible reach, including the Cuyahoga River Fire of 1969 and the Santa Barbara oil spill of the same year, including the release of books like Rachel Carson's Silent Spring of 1962, Ralph Nader's Unsafe at Any Speed of 1965, and Ralph Ehrlich's book The Population Bomb of 1968, helped to push the environment to the forefront of national sentiment and policy. Enter the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act of 1969. Signed into law by outgoing President Lyndon B. Johnson, the act states that, quote, it is hereby declared, should I do my Lyndon B. Johnson impression? (laughs) It is hereby declared. (laughs) It is hereby declared to be the policy of the United States that certain selected rivers of the nation, which, with their immediate environments, possess outstandingly remarkable scenic, recreational, geologic, fish and wildlife, historic, cultural, or other similar values, shall be preserved in free-flowing condition, and that they and their immediate environments shall be protected for the benefit and enjoyment of present and future generations." The Congress declares that the established national policy of dams and other construction at appropriate sections of the rivers of the United States needs to be complemented by a policy that would preserve other selected rivers or sections thereof in their free-flowing condition to protect the water quality of such rivers and to fulfill other vital national conservation purposes, end quote. This act allowed Congress, and if conditions were appropriate, the Secretary of the Interior, the ability to designate these rivers. Initially, the following rivers were selected to be protected. The Feather, Eleven Point, Rio Grande, Rogue, St. Croix, Salmon, Clearwater, and Wolf Rivers. 27 other rivers were earmarked with the act for study and potential designation beyond the scope of the original act and included the Flathead, the Allegheny, the Delaware, and the Penobscot, among others. The rivers are managed by one of several agencies, the U.S. Forest Service, the National Park Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Rivers were broken down into one of three categories, wild, scenic, and recreational. Wild rivers are rivers or sections of rivers that, quote, are free of impoundments and generally inaccessible except by trail, with watersheds or shorelines essentially primitive and waters unpolluted, end quote. Scenic rivers are rivers or sections of rivers that share many of the same qualities of a wild river, the difference being that they are accessible by roadway. 
recreational rivers are more accessible, may have some development along their shoreline, and may have seen some impoundment in the past. A designation of a river to a national wild, scenic, or recreational river does not prohibit development and also does not give the federal government control over private property and, in fact, limits the amount of land the federal government can acquire from willing sellers. In reality, the act is designed to protect America's rivers through designation and to ensure their free-flowing nature through limited adjustment or impediment. The act, quote, prohibits federal support for actions such as the construction of dams or other in-stream activities that would harm the river's free-flowing condition, water quality, or outstanding resource values, end quote. The act also provided there could be no new mining or mineral leasing on these rivers, but existing mining or mineral rights would continue to be honored. This is less of an issue on lands managed by the National Park Service and Fish and Wildlife Service than it is on the lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service, as the former do not allow mining, but the latter do. It should also be noted that the Act does not prevent new mining on lands within the bounds of wild and scenic rivers, just not on the rivers themselves. In total, the National Wild and Scenic River System protects 13,413 miles of 226 rivers in 41 states and the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. While this seems like an impressive number, it is actually less than one-half of 1% of the totality of rivers in the country. In comparison, there are at least 600,000 miles of river that are currently impacted by damming, which is somewhere in the 17 to 20% of rivers nationwide. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Not great. (laughs) And I know that dams are used in a lot of variety of ways, but there are other impacts that dams make. Dams, as we presented very lightly in our research, have been shown to just adjust the ecology of a river in a way that dams are put in place oftentimes for agricultural purposes, to control the flow of a river, to um, create fish ponds. But what ends up happening is that just disrupts the flow, the natural flow of the river. Damming also is used to control or mitigate flooding a lot of the time um, so that that was a, you know, something that wasn't happening. But that natural flooding that was happening also was providing nutrients to soil. So you've taken that away. And so, of course, ecologically, there are problems now. So there's a lot of issues that while dams are helpful for humans in a lot of ways, ecologically, they aren't great. I think it's also worth noting that it's pretty incredible that the National Scenic, Wild and Scenic River System only covers half of 1%. Half of 1%? So half of percent of all the rivers in the country are protected, which is very sparse. (laughs) Very sparse. And so it's kind of incredible that the system isn't receiving more funding, more acknowledgement, more more rivers. Um, I just feel like there are a lot of rivers that are worth protecting um, because they are the lifeblood for so many communities. And it's really, really important that we continue to behave like they are. One of the main tenets of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act is that along with the responsible agencies, a great deal of aid in maintaining the river is through river stewardship. River stewardship looks different for different rivers, but in many cases relies on volunteers and visitors to these spaces to honor and uphold the seven Leave No Trace principles. These include planning ahead and preparing, hiking and camping on durable surfaces, disposing of waste properly, leaving what you find, minimizing campfire impacts, 
respecting wildlife, and being considerate of others. Along with this, opportunities exist within communities through agencies and organizations to work to clean up trash, stabilize steam banks, plant vegetation, and monitor for invasive species. But national wild, scenic, and recreational rivers aren't and should not be the only point of concern when it comes to these opportunities, as water quality and water scarcity are becoming an increasingly dire problem for many parts of the country. As climate change continues to change and exacerbate weather patterns, drought and flooding take their tolls on communities through their waterways. Take a look at the flooding of the greater Yellowstone area during the spring of 2022, where conditions from heavy rains, warmer temperatures, and late spring snow wreaked havoc on the park and the surrounding communities. And in the other extreme, think about the Colorado River and the problems in the Southwest, as drought has created a precarious position for millions. With warming climate and more precipitation as rain rather than snow, the snowpacks that created a reservoir for rivers like the Colorado throughout the year are becoming less and less, endangering the river and the plants, animals, and communities that depend on it. While the Wild and Scenic River Act have helped to preserve some of the most pristine rivers throughout the country, broader legislation and solutions will be necessary to ensure the health and vitality of more rivers nationwide. As they were at the birth of the nation, rivers continue to be a vital lifeline and must be preserved and protected at all costs, not just for human communities, but the greater ecosystem at large. The sources for today's episode include the chapter Historic Milestones of Human River Uses and Ecological Impacts from the book Riverine Ecosystem Management by Gertrude Heidvogel. The article Pre-EPA U.S. Environmental Laws Before 1970 by James Griffin. The article The Wild and Scenic Rivers Act Turns 50 from Legal Planet and Rivers.org. And let's end this episode, as we end many of our episodes, with some Jeopardy-style trivia. When I was a little girl, I had a rag doll. (laughs) (laughs) This game is called River Deep Mountain High. (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. So, in this game, what I will be doing is you will either need to name a mountain that is near a historic um that is near a national scenic or wild river or name the river itself oh and Lord. you'll be okay i promise okay great okay great all right here we go for 100 the Golcana wild and scenic river is nestled between these two alaskan national parks with correspondingly named mountains one is wrangell saint elias and the other has the tallest peak in North America and was once known by another name, the National Park and Peak of the same name. Is it Mount McKinley? Yes, but what is the updated name and now the name of that park? Um, Gates of the Arctic. That's incorrect. What about Kenai Fords? <laughs> no, incorrect. Um, it starts it- with a D. Then it, uh, Denali. There you go. There we go. What is Denali? Great. Great. For 200, the Kern Wild and Scenic River run through Sequoia National Park and right along this, the tallest mountain in the lower 48 United States. What is Mount Whitney? That's correct. For 300, the Wilson Creek Wild and Scenic River runs through the Pisgah National Forest and near this impressive chain of mountains, which also runs through Great Smoky Mountain National Park. What are the Blue Ridge Mountains? That is correct. 
great. See, you're doing fine. I'm doing all right. For 400, this national wild and scenic river, which runs adjacent to the Tetons, was the inspiration for the name of the land company that John D. Rockefeller used to buy up land around the Tetons for their preservation. If you're having trouble coming up with the name, just remember that this is a creature that both Dusty and Indiana Jones find little pleasure in. What is the Snake River? That is correct. <laughs> and um, I remember this because of our episode about the Jackson Hole plan. Right. This is the a trail back. mix from that this from is a last back. season. All right. Look at you. You're on fire here. Nailing it. It's happening. And for 500, this national wild and scenic river shares the name with the largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi, nestled southwest of the towering mountains and mountain ranges of Glacier National Park. And I mentioned this earlier in the episode, too. What is Lake McDonald? No. What is... It's a type of screwdriver, is your hint. Oh, what is um, Lake Phillips? (laughs) What is Flathead Lake? That's right. (laughs) There you go. The Flathead River is what we were looking for. The Flathead River. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) What is Lake Phillips? (laughs) What is Lake Wilson Phillips? Yes. I wish we could play Wilson Phillips here, but we don't have the rights. We don't have the rights. We do not have the rights. (laughs) This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the Gaze Shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey. 